This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Lifeway Women events are gospel-centered, worship-filled, high-energy experiences for women of all ages. Whether you're in the room or joining us virtually from around the world via simulcast, at Lifeway Women events, you'll dive into the Bible with teachers like Priscilla Shirer, Lisa Turkhurst, Jackie Hill Perry, Lisa Harper, Jen Wilkin, and more. Learn how to study scripture for yourself, laugh with friends, and leave invigorated to follow God's calling in your life. Find a city near you or learn about our digital events at lifeway.com forward slash women's events. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. We are here with one of our friends that's been on the podcast a few times, but she is a favorite. So yes. welcome, Jen Wilkin. Are hey, we allowed guys. to have favorites, Kelly? <laughs> oh, we, well, I guess we can just... Listen, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. You're fine. Okay, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah. <laughs> except except for we're going to talk about John, and John's mother did say something about her sons being favorites, so maybe I need to back up. Okay. It was a good little preview, a good tease for the there later conversation, Kelly. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Jen, you have been on the podcast a few times, but it has been a little while since you've been here, so give us just an update about what's going on in your life and ministry. Well, you know, I'm just over here continuing to write Bible studies and uh, try to try to do a little writing of uh, articles and things every now and then. I'm still uh, full time at my church on staff there, so that takes up a lot of my time. And then my family is just proliferating. We're having grandchildren <laughs> and uh, and marriages and all kinds of stuff. So it's 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 an exciting time to be a parent uh, yeah. and to. Uh, to watch my kiddos step into the next stage of life. It's a fun, it's really, it's a fun stage, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it really is. Yeah. I love adult children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, one, oh, I'm go not going to say there's not, there's, I mean, there are stresses about adult children that, you know, are different than when they're little, but, it, you know, for the most part, it's a lot of fun, for sure. I think you and I talked about this one time, Kelly, about how, you know, you're like, oh, I'll be a parent to them for 18 years. And then it's like, Oh, yeah, shoot. No. I'm always going to be their parent. I mean, not like that's a bad thing, but that you still have all no, of yeah. that concern for them. And they're probably growing uh -huh. a little more forgetful about you. And you're growing more mindful of where they are. And so, yeah, all mm -hmm. that. Well, yeah. as a 37 year old who continually calls her parents to ask them questions about why the car is doing this thing, or could you please come over and look at my sink or whatever, <laughs> or what should I do? What kind of loan should I get on this? Um, I, I can attest that you will always be their parent. <laughs> well, okay. I, I do remember being single and I saw a mouse in my apartment and I called my dad and I was like, Hey, I think I just saw a mouse. And he's like, well, like, take care of it, like deal with it. You <laughs> that, know? Was, that was the time that I called my dad about a wasp nest being in my house, inside my house. And I was like, hey, there's a wasp nest inside my house. And he was like, okay, um, you're going to just need to get some wasp spray. And I was like, oh, 
I, I wanted you to come over to deal with this. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the new things that you are involved in, Jen, is Lifeway Women Academy. Yes. And you were part of some of the very first original conversations about it. Mm-hmm. So tell us what you learned from ministry leaders and women and why you're passionate about what Lifeway Women Academy is working to do. Yeah, we started having those conversations because um, pretty much everybody who was in some leadership role, whether that was at Lifeway or in the local church, we were all kind of seeing and hearing the same thing. And we were hearing it at things like, um, like what we were just at, we were just at a forum together. Um, we were hearing that there was a there was an interest among women in learning and growing deeper in their understanding of the scriptures and of theology, but outside of seminary, women weren't really sure where to turn, you know, or uh, they weren't even sure, like, if there's nothing at their local church and they're not going to attend seminary, um, then they don't need, they don't feel like maybe they need to go all the way to a seminary level education. Where can they just get connected to some good teaching that can help them be better at leading a small group or teaching in their local church or just discipling someone one-on-one? And um, so we, out of that discussion, we started talking about how great it would be to pull together something that filled in that gap. Um, And then specifically along the lines of um, by women for women, because it's not only rare that women know how to get connected to these resources, but it's exceedingly rare that they might find resources that were created by other women for them for that purpose. So we were all really energized around it. It's been really fun to see it start to come to pass. Yeah. um, I think when I, when I came into the conversation, I came in, I don't know how many months into the, I feel like it was possibly years into the conversation. Um, And I remember just, we were kind of figuring out what it looked like. What does this mean? Is it an event? Is it classes? Is it online? Is it a print thing? And so we just really desired to make it accessible. And the things that you highlighted, Jen, about the um, by women and for women, um, I think that grew in importance in our on our radar as we mm-hmm. talked with women and heard from women who have been to seminary or been to similar classes, and they loved them, mm-hmm. and they loved the men that taught them, but they just were like, this man doesn't know what it's like to be a woman, and he doesn't know how I can use this stuff as a woman. <laughs> and so, that, yeah. yeah that, that is a key part of it, I think, that, that I hadn't really thought of. When we first started talking about it, I remember thinking, well, but I know all of these really great male voices who are, you know, mm-hmm. who would be happy to be in this space. And, um, and I, I, I know my experience has been, and I would imagine yours too, like I have benefited so much from male voices, but yeah. I also distinctly remember the moments where I saw a woman, um, utilizing this skill set uh, in spaces that are typically inhabited just by women and mm-hmm. how foundational that was. And, and, and so even things like um, just the difference between an all women's Bible study and a, and, a, and a mixed group. And it's not, I love mixed groups. I love groups that are led by both men and women. I love groups mm-hmm. that are led by men, but there really is something um, particularly sweet about an all female setting that's led by a woman. And, uh, and, and so I think that this will capitalize uh, on that, but not be limited to just that. I think women will be able to utilize the things that they're learning and take them wherever ministry leads them. Yeah. Um, but but it, it does feel really special to to be able to pull together just some of the brightest women mm-hmm. with such clear voices and clear thinking and 
um, great at, at putting together these courses and then teaching them with an understanding of how they're most likely to be used in the local church mm-hmm. um, by the kinds of women that we think are going to be attracted to this. Yeah, I was in some of the early conversations and Part of the early conversations were actually phone calls that several of us at Lifeway made to pastors. And yes. we, we asked them the question, how many women in your church would feel equipped and feel confident in teaching the Bible? And just in like just straight teaching the Bible. And it didn't matter whether it was a small church or a large church. It was less than 10 across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. And so there, it really revealed to us that women didn't feel confident um, or and even the pastors weren't sure that they knew women in their church that were equipped and they Mm -hmm. and and this isn't just about women i mean like this is for pastors to feel like hey this is a great thing for my women to go through so that i know that they are teaching the bible well you know Mm -hmm. Um, we forget that so take talk about like who is the woman who you see participating in life women academy well, I think part of the part of the issue that that we want to address is the woman who doesn't even realize that she is the woman, you know, mm. um, because she either feels like she doesn't have permission or she feels like she doesn't have pathways. Mm. And so I know that for me, you know, much of my teaching experience was gained in my living room with a group of women seated around me uh, in, in just a discussion based, you know, let's go through this book of the Bible together. And um, I know that I had to really... Um, scramble to to make sure that I was connected to good, you know, do I have a good commentary? Do I have a bad commentary? How would I even know the difference? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we're looking to do is to remove those barriers to entry for women who have some sense that they would like to do it, but they either lack confidence or they don't see that pathway forward. Um, so that, um, you know, most of the time it does start in a living room. If it's going to go to anything uh, larger than that, maybe in a church setting, then, you know, the Lord will will bring that to be. But some of us just never even take that first step because we feel limited um, by the by the options that are open in front of us. So we want to give permission. We want to give them permission. We want to give them tools um, to do good just on the ground local ministry. But I think it would help if you want to be a podcaster. You know, I yeah. actually think it would help if you have a presence on Instagram and you're putting content out there and you want it to be more than just sort of devotional or um, or just what you were thinking in the moment. You know, you want to have some assurance that what you're putting out there is uh, is grounded in biblical truth or has a, a historic perspective uh, um, that the church uh, would attest to for 2000 years, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, so uh, I think it has a broad application, but it certainly has a simple and clear application for those who are looking to do ministry in their neighborhood, or in their living room, in their local church. Yeah. yeah. Michelle Hicks and I were talking yesterday and Michelle is over the Journey Devotional Magazine and we were having a conversation yesterday about training of our devotional writers um, because like you said like sometimes devotionals can be you know pretty much just pick a verse and you mm-hmm. just kind of apply it however you want to. And Mm -hmm. so we've been really trying to think through how do we train our writers to be theologically sound and theologically rich, um, Mm -hmm. even in the devotional space. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you make this where it's going to be reflective and it is going to be rich and not, not just fluff. And and Mm -hmm. then some, and I don't mean, I don't mean to dishearten, you know, disparage a lot of that, but um, I do think that 
I, th- I think we're really working at that. And, and Life of Women Academy could even be for someone who, who wants to write, who, who, who sees himself yeah. in that space, for sure. Yeah, and we even talk about, like, I have friends that are like, I don't really have a desire to teach or write or do any of those things, but I just want to know how to study the Bible myself. Mm-hmm. They're yep. like, I love mm-hmm. reading Jen Wilkins Bible studies, or I love reading, you know, the Life of Women Bible studies, but how do they do that? Um, And how do they write those? Where do they get this information? And so I think some people just want to know how to do it themselves. And I've been saying, like, um, it's for any woman who seminary is a not right now. Yeah. Because for me personally, like, I went to seminary, but it's been 10 years. And I feel like I've forgotten a lot of stuff. So um, even people who just want a refresher or maybe they're – Seminary is an option down the road, but right now it's not. And so they want to, um, they still want to be equipped right now. And so I think that's, yeah, it's for all those people. And we even yeah. talked about it with uh, women teaching children's Sunday school class. Oh, I've been asked some major absolutely. theological questions. Yeah. I mean, student, yeah. minor, student ministry these yes. days, you know, you, yes. you can't show up half, half prepared. Um, yeah, and I think we, you know, we talked a little about. We've talked actually a lot about how uh, every believer falls somewhere on a scale from the James three one. Not many of you should presume to be teachers mm-hmm. because we know we'll judge more strictly. To the Great Commission, which is that we're all supposed to teach uh, others to obey, uh, to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever that teaching function is that that is your responsibility according to your particular uh, gifts and and context uh, that we want to equip women for. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's so beautiful about the offering is that it is flexible. It's learn at your own pace, you know, Um, you can kind of take it one course at a time. You can do the courses at a time that fits for you. And you're, you, you may be asking and answering a question of whether you need to go to seminary. You may be discovering for the first time that's something that you're interested in doing. Or you may realize, no, you know what? For where the Lord has me right now, I, I'm good. But I'm so thankful to know how to get to, to good resources and have some assurance um, that I'm teaching sound doctrine Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think we're continual learners. And I'm going to ask you, I don't think this is not on our list of questions, <laughs> but it, it popped in my brain because one time I was in a chapel and I heard a chapel speaker kind of chastise these college students for like, how can you read all of Harry Potter, but you can't read the whole mm-hmm. Bible? And and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, because Harry Potter is not the same as the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm continually having to go back, you know, and relearn or learn again. Like last Mm -hmm. week, um, well, we've had um, lessons in the Minor Prophets in my particular class on Sunday mornings. And the the guy who's leading it, um, we were actually at dinner on on Sunday, and he, he was like, Kelly, he was like, did you figure out the river? I saw you looking at the rivers <laughs> while I was talking. I was like, yes, I was trying to figure out where that river was that you were talking about that Nineveh, you know, was destroyed or whatever. Uh-huh. So anyway, it was just, I mean, so, I mean, and I, I've, I've learned from the Bible all my life, but still, like, we can all learn. It's yeah, a continual yeah. learning. It's not mm-hmm. just you read it and you set it aside. I feel like every time I read the Bible, um, not every single time, but when I get into it, I'm always like, has that been there the whole time? Yeah. Have I just <laughs> missed this? Because I feel like this is not, I've never heard this before. And I'm like, I've read this before, but I've never heard this. So it's it's always um, something new will pop, or not new. It's not new. 
but you know, it'll pop into your mind, uh, or, um, It'll it's stand living, out to you differently. Yeah, it's living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys will laugh. We're teaching the Exodus study at my church right now. We're team teaching it. So yeah, yeah this is what my fourth time to teach through Exodus. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, this will be great. I can just get up there and dust off some old notes and teach it again. And then every week, it's like I'm just getting blown mm. away by something. I, and I'm like, shoot, I didn't, I didn't know this. I need to, <laughs> I need to include this. You know, mm-hmm. and and um and then just the excitement that you feel around that. And I think that's a lot of what we want to transmit to women who maybe feel like, well, you know, I've studied the book of Acts or I've studied the book, you know, or, or um, I, I took a class on how to study the Bible or, you know, if it didn't, if you didn't catch fire around it, it's time to, it's time to revisit it again because uh, it should, it should, it should bring you alive. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, I think the Harry Potter example is a really good one because we, we have more intuition around the rules of reading Harry Potter than we do around the rules of reading the scripture because the scriptures were written to people a long time ago and far away. They're also written to us, but that mm-hmm. means we can understand that there must be a way for us to bridge that gap, but it may not be as intuitive as we have been told or would like. And, you know, that's one of the big missing pieces often for people in the conversation is they have sort of absorbed an idea that understanding the Bible should be easy because we have the Holy Spirit. And then when it's not easy for them, they have a crisis of confidence. Like maybe maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to them as clearly as he does to other people, or maybe they're just a bad Christian. And um, that's that's just not true. It does take some skill to, to learn how to read the scriptures properly. Any good endeavor involves skill and practice, and you do get better at it, and you enjoy it with increasing enjoyment the more that you grow in that ability. Yeah. Well, speaking of scripture, <laughs> this is a professional podcasting transition. Um, your new Bible study is called Abide, and it is about the letters of First, Second, and Third John. And so you've been for Lifeway, at least, you've been writing about the Old Testament for a while. Like you said, Exodus, uh, Genesis, I guess those are the only two books, but you have four Bible studies on those two books. Um, and then... How has so how has your study of the Old Testament informed how you approach studying first, second, and third John, which is in the New Testament? Well, all of any time spent in the Old Testament is going to just uh, light on fire your study of the New Testament. Maybe that's a bad analogy. No, maybe it's a really good one. Um, because, you know, for years I spent a lot of time, I would imagine a lot of people are the same way, a lot of time in the New Testament, specifically in short epistles. Uh, because they fit neatly into a Bible study schedule or they didn't feel intimidating Mm -hmm. because they weren't very long. But because I didn't know the Old Testament, I was, I would say I was just barely skimming the surface of what there was to pull from those letters because uh, there is not one single letter in the New Testament that was written by someone who didn't absolutely love and was steeped in the Old Testament. And so uh, the thing was, I was missing all of those allusions or quotations. Sometimes I didn't even realize I was reading a quote because yeah. I didn't know what was in the Old Testament. And so I would think, oh, yeah, yeah, I got the point of that. And then I would realize uh, after studying the Old Testament, oh, I got the barest application of that. There was so much more uh, for me to see. And the assumption of the New Testament writers is that we know the Old Testament. And we just don't. We mm-hmm. most of us don't. I, I still don't know it as well as I I would like to. But thankfully, I've got some years ahead of me to to keep working on that. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, I, I remember my dad. My dad was a he loved the Old Testament, um, and so he always talked about just the narratives of the Old Testament a lot, and just how it points to Christ. And so, I'm really grateful for that legacy, even just of someone you know, someone in my life that loves the Old Testament. But yeah, you're right. So let's talk about even the connections you see between the issues that John addressed in the early church, but also. They're the same. Some of the same issues we face as followers of Christ today. These are not new new issues that he, you know, they were happening then. But let's talk about some of those that you found. Yeah. Um, well, so there's a word that is used over and over again in the epistles of John. It's actually used over 40 times in those three short letters, and it's the word "know." He talks about knowing K N O W over and over again. He's very concerned uh, that they would be able to know what is true. Um, and that they would know what it looks like to, to be a faithful believer, and that's that we would have love for each other, um, and that they would know that righteousness is what shows us to be the children of God. And so he, he goes through those, those three themes over and over again um, of, of truth and righteousness and love and how they apply to the Christian life. But that idea of knowing was, was uh, an idea that was being challenged or twisted, you could say, in the first century church by a group of people called the Gnostics, um, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And and Gnosticism was just starting to sort of form during the time that John is writing these letters. And it was basically the idea that you had to have special knowledge to be able to uh, know God, that, Mm -hmm. that he did not reveal himself. Uh, to all of us, that we didn't all have access to the knowledge of God, that only special knowledge was the way to know him. And um, so that might sound like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's a problem for them and not for us. But it's actually something that is all over in the church today. Um, I know all the time I hear women saying, oh, I'm just I'm looking for a, a, a word from the Lord. You know, they want to know something special just for them that he has to say to them. And while that's not a completely wrong idea, there is a way in which that idea might be right. Um, the idea that he's going to give you something special just for you is is not something that we see in the scriptures. The scriptures tell us that um, the scriptures are the evidence that God makes himself known. Uh, they are the primary way in which we know God. And uh, But we can sometimes be so fascinated by hearing a word from the Lord that is not coming from the scriptures. You know, like, give me a sign or um, or uh, or you know I, my word for the year is uh, fill in the blank you know like the Lord gave me a word for the year and it, again they're not uh, they're not horrible things to say as long as the motive behind them is driven by what we see to be true about the Lord in the scriptures but um, but Gnosticism is always a, a threat to the church the idea that only a certain knowledge of God can be had by certain people. Uh, another way I think that it sometimes plays out, which relates to Lifeway Women Academy, is that um, the average learner might think that those in seminary or those with seminary degrees have the special knowledge that they will never have of the Lord. Uh, and that's that's not true. It's not to say that what we learn in seminary isn't important, um, but that's accessible. And that's one of the reasons that Lifeway Women Academy actually fits kind of neatly into this conversation, because we're saying, no, 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 this isn't special knowledge. It's knowledge the Lord has made available to all of us. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that, uh, of course. And I love what you said at um, our symposium about all Christians. Like when you accepted Christ, you became a learner yeah. and that'll continue forever. Um, and so I think, yeah, I love that God did not um, 
God revealed it to all of us. And so we yeah. have it there for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, when we think about uh, for me, I mean, I'm glad you said that about what you saw the phrase there so many times in, in these letters, um, because it's always stood out to me um, just how John challenges people to love one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's there's a lot of some church history that even talks about in his last years that that was a common. And here, here's someone who was a son of thunder, right? Who yeah. wanted to just, you know, <laughs> hey, just can we just burn them up? And, yeah, let's and call then, down fire on a city. Yeah, yeah, that was really where he was coming from. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then to see how the Lord has worked in his heart, and like that became the theme of, of the end of his life was love one another, love yeah. one another. Do you talk about that in the study? Because I haven't gotten to see it yet, so yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering. We do, yeah. and I will say one of the things that really was precious to me about those letters is that he's so old when he writes them. You know, he's mm-hmm. an old man, and obviously yeah. these letters are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit could have written those letters through him when he was young and instead did so when he was old, and the, mm-hmm. and, and so his, his all of the things that he has, and he talks about, you know, all the things that he has seen and he knows, the things he has witnessed uh, are coming to bear on the way that the letter gets communicated, and I love the idea that it's written late in life. If you've ever had the experience of, you know, looking back at a journal that you wrote in maybe 20 years ago and mm-hmm. you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so mortified that I said those <laughs> things, you know, I was so dumb. Uh, now, obviously, again, John's writing under the inspiration of the spirit, but he's, I always am interested in the books that are written by authors later in life and how they yeah. compare to what they would have written younger. And I, I cause their, their, their ideas are fully formed and they've boiled it down to what matters most because they know they won't have 10 more books to write. They have maybe one more book to write or two or no more books to write. And so I think about John thinking about his message in terms of an epitaph, like what do I want them to remember mm. uh, as my, as my last word and Testament on yeah. the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Well, and, Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Go ahead. I was just going to say that a lot of scholars believe that he was probably one of one of, if not the youngest, of Jesus's disciple, mm-hmm. and um, I think that is cool to think about that he knew Jesus most of mm-hmm. his life, like mm-hmm. longer in his lifespan than any of mm-hmm. the others did, and so just to have that be reflected in his writing and for him to identify himself as the beloved disciple, a lot of people think that's him um and then he uh and then he writes so much about love and how they'll know we're his children by our love and so i think uh that's a cool thing to bring into the study is just who again he was inspired by the holy spirit but the holy spirit also used the human authors their experiences their phrasings their you know things like that and so that is a cool thing to think about as you read those letters that if they were the last things he wrote and he mm-hmm. knew Jesus most of his life. So um, cool reflections from him. Yeah. He's probably the, he, well, he is, he's the last living right. uh, of the, of those yeah. who were actually a part of Jesus earthly ministry of the 12. Yeah. And so he's thinking uh, I need to tell this coming generation, this current generation, yeah, I witnessed it. Now you're a witness. Yeah. Uh, and and you be, mm-hmm. I, I want you to bear witness to my words that this is true and this happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking even at first John four, eight, because it it ties in that knowledge of God. It says the one who does not love does not know God. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Because God is love. And I also, I mean, a lot of people think, well, what's in third John? That's just like one chapter, <laughs> you know? What's that, in that was the one that you did not want to get in Bible drill because it was hard to find. <laughs> so hard to find. You got third John and Jude right there together. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But, the, but just even his friend, and, and I, I may say this wrong, is it Gaius? That's how I've always said it. I, I usually say Gaius, but I don't Gaius? know. Gaius? Is it Gaius? We're all yeah. making it up, right? I don't, We're all yeah. whatever pops out in the moment. But he's just like a commending this friend mm-hmm. this you know, like he's mentored him and mm-hmm. what a challenge for all of us too right mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the letters are they're very pastoral uh and they are um they're they're from the heart of a father he's a he's a church father at that point you know he's mm-hmm. a, he's a, he's an elder um to a lot of believers who are uh, one generation removed from the resurrection and he understands exactly what's at stake in that and, and addresses it head on. And he calls and keeps, keeps calling him little children. I mean, it's just written in the sweetest tone. And uh, John in his epistles, as he is in his gospel and as he is in Revelation, he is constantly drawing in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys know I'm working on a study of Revelation right now. And um and you know we always are like why the book of revelation is so hard to understand why why is it so hard to understand and i'm just increasingly impressed with why it's hard to understand because we don't know the old testament and uh, Mm. his epistles i think are the same way in a less evident uh, way they on face value just seem like these brief little letters telling us three lessons but they're telling them woven through with old testament references that bring alive what he's saying and rooted yeah. in history. Mm. Yeah. You, okay. So you hinted at Revelation. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Do, I yeah. Saying it out loud or it won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Do you want to give them, give our listeners any kind of information or info, inside, inside <laughs> yeah, info? Sure. Yeah. It'll help keep me honest in the writing process. Yeah. I'm working on um, this study of Revelation and, and the way that uh, Lifeway finally talked me into it was Tina, uh, uh, Bosch said, um, you've already done Genesis and Exodus. So you've done a ton of the work already. And she's right. She's what she's pointing to. She's pointing toward that idea that if you understand the Old Testament, then then Revelation begins to just crack open like an oyster with a giant Mm. pearl inside. And so um, I, I was like, I don't know, that feels terrifying and awful. And yes, everyone has asked me for 10, 10 years whether I would write a study of Revelation. <laughs> I think and, every uh, yeah, faithful everyone. Christian author oh, yeah. does that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who can we who can we throw in front of the bus? <laughs> and, um, and apparently it's me. I, uh, I, you know, and I started just getting into it. I started just reading it repetitively and, and listening to it. And um, I just am so struck by the idea, like with every book of the Bible that I've taught, that I've taken on to teach, I always feel like I'm, I have to climb a mountain, you know, at the beginning. And, uh, and then you, you just begin to do the work and you get there one step at a time. But with revelation, I just am struck by the thought that this letter was, it was read aloud to these seven churches. Like people didn't have a copy of it in front of them. It was read aloud to them. And it takes about two hours and 10 minutes to hear the whole thing from start to finish. And even the way that it's written, so that's about the length of a movie, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. written almost like cinematography, the way that the, the writing is. And I'm borrowing these ideas. I, I've, I, I heard these um, from someone else, but it, it gripped me. And so, but then I, I'm thinking of that and I'm thinking, right. And, and they would have 
understood what they were hearing. They didn't get to the end of that reading and think that was super weird, Uh, but we do. Mm -hmm. And so what are we missing? Like, what are we missing that causes us to read it so differently than those who would have sat and listened to it um, 2000 years ago would have received it. So that's, that's what I'm going to work on trying to give to, to study participants. I don't think that they will have a, uh, a complete understanding of the book of revelation when they finish. Uh, and mm-hmm. I hope that no one would ask that of anyone. In yeah. Right. Like exactly. I, I want to give it what, I, what we do with other books. I want to give a working knowledge of what the book, um, is doing and, um, a sense of how to, how to read it. Um, so that then interpretation flows from from that. Yeah. You talked about it being written cinematically. Yeah. I think I've talked about this. I know I've told you this before, Jen. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I listened to Revelation one time, and it was like on CDs, if you remember that, yes. um, <laughs> from a church library. I checked them out. And I don't know who produced these CDs, but they were really good. And they had there were sound effects in Revelation. <laughs> And I was reading it while I was driving to seminary, and it was like nighttime, and I was legitimately scared. I was like, I'm going to have to turn this off because there's like sound effects of the horse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and like all this different, like fire and all this. I was like, I cannot listen to this while I'm driving in the dark. So, yes, um, I would recommend that for anyone that just wants to, you know, hear it it in a new way. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy. Exactly. That is true. Like most of us have have been traumatized by the book of Revelation. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was as a kid, yeah. you know, and so I think it's been redemptive for me to be, I had the same experience with a study of Daniel years ago mm-hmm. where um, I was just like, oh, this isn't terrifying. You know, yeah. why did I think this was so scary with the, with the prophecies at the end of the book? And so that's another thing that I'm hoping to give to uh, the participants is just, hey, this, this is a book that actually is stated to have been written for encouragement. So we should find it encouraging. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was like, John was trying to encourage them. But, you yeah. know, this wasn't, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, he's like, look, this ends well. Like this, there is, there is, yeah, there's a if final. If you think about, like, what was going on at his time compared yes. to what was going on now, like, um, it was scary then, and it was it's scary yeah. now. And so if you yeah. think about that in comparison to what he's talking about in Revelation, you're like, oh, there is hope here. Whereas if we just think that everything's great here, then it is kind of scary to think that that's all right. that's coming. But I think we all are very aware of how it's kind of scary out, out there right now mm-hmm. in our world. And it was scary in his world as well. And so mm-hmm. I think that really links to the hope and the encouragement um, that are in John's in Revelation because it's like, oh yeah, we know how this ends and it's gonna end it's gonna end good <laughs> for us. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jen, we ask this question every time, but we're we're gonna put a little twist on it since <laughs> you've been on the podcast before. Um, what has marked you as you studied first and second and third John in your mark with in your walk with Christ? The thing that jumps out to me every time I study his letters is in 1 John 5, where he says, this is how we know we love him if we obey his commands. And so first of all, that jumps out at me because I'm like, wait, obedience to his commands is how we know we love him. Uh, And of course, that's Mm -hmm. capturing the idea that when you love someone, you want to do what pleases them. But then he goes on and says this statement that just knocked me over the first time I finally registered with me. And he says, um, and his commands are not burdensome. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think how often we have regarded what God asks of us uh, with regard to holiness as a burden. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important to note that what he he commit he asks of us is difficult, but it's not burdensome. And that mm-hmm. distinction just was pivotal for me in the way that I thought about sanctification. It was, yeah, it is hard. Uh, but it's the best kind of hard because it's conforming us to the image of Christ. And uh, we want to look like someone that we love. And you know, this is true. We're all, we're all imitators. We're all imitating things that we have affection for. Um, that's what Instagram is trying to do. It's trying to form you into the image of whatever you're fixing your eyes on. And so uh, that's an easy way to be formed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's almost like a passive formation. Uh, but when we when we set our faces like flint and realize that we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, that's a difficult road to walk in, in this wilderness wandering that is this lifetime. Um, but it isn't a burden to us. Um, mm-hmm. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Mm-hmm. And so we can know that um, when we um, are called to obey, that he will give us everything needful. He will give us grace and he will give us strength and he will draw us to himself. That's really good. It reminds me, it kind of parallels what Paul Paul said of imitate me as I imitate Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that he is he, that that's who we want to look more like. So, well, thank you so much, Jen, for just coming on again and being part of the Marked Podcast and being part of the Lifeway Women's Family. We really do consider you a, a, just a, a really important part of of what we do at Lifeway and are so grateful for the ministry that God has given you and just the gifts that He has given you and how you steward those so well. So we're excited about the Abide Study and just encourage our listeners to check that out. And we'll be looking forward to more studies from you in the future too. So thanks again. And listeners, we will look forward to having you back next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heinemann. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.